Hello and welcome to Bread. We're a newish, open-minded, spirit-filled, non-denominational church meeting in the Los Feliz area of Los Angeles. Most of the podcasts you'll find here are recorded in our Sunday services, hence the not always perfect audio quality and background noises, but occasionally something or someone else will be featured. We're the kind of Christians who like the Bible a lot, but we're not the thump you with it kind of ones. We believe in the world-changing power of the love of Jesus and the present-day work of the Holy Spirit to change things. We're also always trying to integrate all this culturally applicable truth in real ways that reach our emotions and intellects, as well as our spirits. We're starting 2020 with a seven-part series called The Holiness of Health. The truth about our emotional and mental health doesn't always get centre stage in church, and while this is all stuff that we talk about quite a lot at Bread, we wanted to kick off the new decade with a proper in-depth look at this stuff. We hope you enjoy it. So nice to see you. Um, my name's Ed and I lead this church with um, Hannah, not this church, this is the first time we've ever been here. Uh, and it's the first time I've ever spoken uh, with the backdrop of two ferns or two kind of palms. Uh, that's very nice. Um, and uh, I might add, there's uh, a sound system. Uh, that's, that's the sound system that's based here, uh, which is great. Um, and the band, and Brandon in particular, who's been doing sound, have been um, working manfully and womanfully uh, to, um, to make it happen. So thank you very much. This is the final talk um, on our um, series about the holiness of health. And um, we've been allowing, or sort of talking about how we might allow God into our emotions. Uh, some people, let's call them the British, not so good at emotions. Some people, let's call them the Americans, good at emotions, very, very good at emotions. Now, I know that that's not entirely true. In fact, it's not really true at all. Um, in my experience, our national identity is only one factor that affects how we um, deal with emotions, how we're good at them or not. Um, the thing is, we're all emotional people, whether we like it or not. There is no such thing as a non-emotional person. We are all emotional people. We're just, um, either we have learned or we've been given a safe place to process our emotions, or we haven't. And that's really what distinguishes us. So as a church and as a group of people, we've been kind of challenging ourselves to um, become mature and healthy in this area. And it's been a desire for us to kind of look at um, whoever we are, whatever our experiences of life, how can we allow God to form and heal and uh, minister to uh, our feelings. So as we wrap this series up, I want to take actually a step backwards. Because um, before any of us will get to a place of allowing God into the more vulnerable areas of our lives, we've got to know that it's safe to let him do that. It is, of course, one thing to be aware of our vulnerabilities. It's quite another to open them up to big, bad God. Because, unfortunately, for some of us, that is who he is, big and bad. However much we might want to shake it, many of us will have actually grown up with a picture of God like he is some sort of bearded, autocratic despot up in his heavenly throne, pointing his finger at you, mercilessly recording all your defects, and basically telling you that he's not very um, pleased with you. 
Jesus, fine with him. Nice Jesus, quite like him. Look at him, Jesus. Holy Spirit, not too sure about him. A little bit weird, but you know, whatever. Father, though, not sure about the Father. Seems quite keen on judgment. Keen to be appeased. Frequently disappointed, a little bit angry, not too sure about the Father. This was certainly close to my understanding uh, growing up, and I tried to get away from that God as quickly as I could. And if you feel something similar, then I have every sympathy for you. And it's understandable, though, isn't it, why you wouldn't want to open yourselves to a God who looks a bit like that. But this evening, I want to talk about how we all approach God and to show what he's actually like from the biblical witness so that we might actually open ourselves to who he intends us to open ourselves to and who he actually really is. So that's where we're going. How do we approach God? Let me read this from Galatians 4. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, and the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child, and since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. The Lord God can be your father. This is one of the most important things that we can ever realise and experience and understand. Why, really, did Jesus come to die and resurrect? Well, so that we could call him Father. This really is actually the whole point of Jesus. So that we could call God Father. Now, already, I know there may be a few alarm bells ringing for some of you. What? Fathers, sons, maleness? Oh no, surely not. Not in Los Angeles in 2020. This is sounding a little bit alarm bell. What's all this maleness doing here? Uh, which actually reminds me of my favourite story of all time. This hasn't really got much to do with the talk, but it's about... Uh, anyway, I'm going to tell you anyway. It's my favourite story of all time. There was a big Christian meeting, and my friend was there. He was quite a young Christian. He was about 18. There was about um, 2,000 people at this meeting. And my friend had been on a missions trip, and he'd been playing bass. And they'd been doing this um, uh, kind of uh, various different Christian conferences, uh, playing all these different areas. And then they'd come to this, and this was the last one, and this band had been together for the whole time. And the worship leader, a very enthusiastic guy, said, okay, what I want us to do is just to be really open to the Spirit as we're leading worship. And I want us to just try and follow wherever he leads. So they were playing, and the worship was going great. All 2,000 people, hands in the air, everyone's going for it. My friend's playing bass, they're rocking out, and my friend then suddenly feels like, oh, God's speaking to me. And I know what we were supposed to do, we're supposed to go with it. So he sort of walked over to the worship, and he said, I feel like God's saying something. And so whilst everyone's got their hands in the air, going for it, there's a sort of crunch, needle off the record. Wait, stop everyone. Everyone looks at me, all got their hands in the air. And uh, my friend says, I feel like I've got something to say. And it's for you, sitting there. And so in this 
of 2,000 people, they all sit down apart from this one person. My friend, plucking up more and more courage, says, God says to you, you are like a father. You are going to be a father to many people. You are like a strong man of God. You are the man that God has been looking for, and he will bless you as a father to many. And then the person shouted out, I'm Mormon. <laughs> anyway, back to the alarm bells. There has, of course, been an ongoing debate for a while about the appropriate, like, never do that. Never ever do that. About the appropriate language that we use to speak to God. Some struggle, actually, with calling God Father at all, and I think probably for three or four reasons. Firstly, because they feel that it reinforces some sort of patriarchy. The idea that males have the right to rule over the world and to dominate females and also, probably by extension, less powerful other males. Secondly, people have a problem with it because some have had abusive fathers. And why on earth, having had an abusive father, would you really want to talk to God like a father? Seems a silly thing to do, a very painful thing to do. And then thirdly, because calling God father seems to deify males. A famous writer called Mary Daly famously said that if God is male, then male is God. Now, I realise that I, as a man, yes I am, my opinion about this issue may actually come with, um, or at least seem a little bit relevant. In other words, it might appear that I've got a vested interest in preserving the traditional language that we use when we talk about God because it affirms my maleness. Now, I don't think this is the case, but I do understand and I do appreciate if that is your concern. Let me just tell you that the reality is I have three daughters. And they, along with my wife, who is also a female, are my four most treasured people in my life. They mean more to me than anything else. And quite frankly, what I want for my three daughters is that they will become the badasses that they have been created to be. And there will be nothing that holds them back. So really, if I'm going to be biased to one side, I think it's probably going to be to the opposite. You know, for me, I don't really care about it. Like, I'm done. I'm 40. I'm just kind of, you know, my life is over. I'm just going to slip into obscurity, and then I'm going to slip into my pajamas, and then I'm going to slip into my grave. And what I care about is my daughter. That's what I'm concerned about. However, that all said, whilst I understand the reasons that I just mentioned for abandoning language as, um, about God as Father, and I have every sympathy for those who find themselves wanting or even needing to do that, I want to say I don't think it's correct to do that, and I don't actually think it's very helpful to do that for our faith. We all suffer a little bit from projection theology, where we project humanity onto God. And I think this is what we do when we suggest that when Jesus was thinking of God the Father, he was thinking of something male. I don't think he was at all. Instead, I believe Jesus was simply teaching his disciples and us by extension 
what good fatherhood is actually like. It's like God. It's merciful and kind and relational and there. The father language of God is not at all meant to affirm the ways in which some or all human fathers have parented their children or were um, uh, uh, related to their spouse. Far from it. Our language about God as Father is not projecting human fatherhood with all its faults and failures onto God. Rather, it is showing us God as a perfect Father. There is a reason that Jesus calls God Father and tells us to do the same, but it's got nothing to do with patriarchy and nothing to do with males. So, what I want to do is I want to start by talking about God as Father. And then, exciting, I want to talk about God as mother, that will be fun. And then, at the end, what I want to do is hopefully show that unless we can actually appreciate what God is actually like, we can then open ourselves to him and experience him as he needs to be experienced by us. Good, that's what we're going to do. So, firstly, God as Father. Who is God a father for? Does the Bible say that all people are God's children? Well, yes, and also no. On one level, your father is your literal source of being. There has to be a father in order to have life. But father also means to have a certain relationship with someone. It is the classic conversation in the cheesy film with the teenager and the father, and the teenager says, you were never the dad I needed. And the father says, but you're my fashion button. He said, but that wasn't enough. I know, it's a brilliant script. I'm developing it at the moment. It's going to be good. But the point is, what we're saying is, you may have been my biological progenitor, but that is not enough to be a father to me. And I think we can all accept that the second half of the definition is more important than the first. And the Bible feels exactly the same way. Acts 17 does say that we are all his offspring, everyone created by God, so that we are all his children. But really, that's the one exception in the whole Bible. In general, the Bible's message is you are God's children if if you have entered into a particular relationship with him. So verse 4, Jesus came so that we might receive adoption to sonship. We might receive it. That being the operative phrase. It is when we receive and enter into this particular relationship with God that we become his children and he becomes our father. And it's only in this relationship that we can experience all the benefits of that relationship. And the benefits are these, verse seven, no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you're his child, God has made you also an heir. Notice how passive the whole thing is with regards to humanity. We're not doing anything, God's doing it all. God is the one who does all the running. The Father sends his Son, the Son is born, the Son redeems us, the Father adopts us, the Father sends the Spirit, the Spirit fills our hearts. We, all we do is the receiving. And so therefore, it is open to all because of what he has done, 
We just have to receive it. So who's it for? Anyone who wants it. Anyone. God is our Father in that we are all his children, in that we are all humans. But there is more. All of any of us, we can experience the fatherhood of God. Not just him being our progenitor, but him being our dad. Well, when you're a child, you're loved by your father, whatever. That's how it's supposed to work. Because this is what a father's job is. Their job as a father is to love their children. A boss does not have to love his employees. He might want to, he might choose to, but he doesn't have to. A teacher does not have to love his students. A doctor does not have to love his patients. A landlord does not have to love his tenants, a politician does not have to love the people in his district. They can choose to or not. But a father, a father has to. That's his job. That's pretty much the whole remit of what he's supposed to do, why he's a father, love his kids. So, if the Bible says that God is your father, what that means is that God loves you perfectly, despite everything, despite everything and anything and all of it, he loves you all the time, perfectly. He has to. He's gone and called himself Father. This is the most fundamental thing that we can understand about God being our Father. When you relate to your boss, you can have a very cordial relationship and everything will be fine, as long as you perform. I was um, back in England just recently, and I watched football. Football with an uppercase foot. <laughs> just remember that. Football played with the foot. And uh, as I was watching football, someone you don't know was the co-commentator, this guy called Owen Hargreaves. Now, Owen Hargreaves was an ex-player, he used to play for England, and Owen Hargreaves was signed by probably the greatest manager of all time, Sir Alex Ferguson, for probably the worst team of all time, the Devils team, Manchester United, you don't need to worry about that, <laughs> try to avoid them wherever you can. Now, when he was a player, Sir Alex Ferguson, probably the greatest manager of all time, said this about him. When I signed Hargreaves, there was something about him I didn't like. It turned out to be a disaster. The issue was not Owen Hargreaves' talent or his fitness, although his fitness wasn't great. It wasn't anything actually innate in him. It was, as Ferguson said, he didn't show enough determination. He always opted for the easy choice in training, apparently. And so almost as soon as Ferguson signed Hargreaves, he tried to get rid of Hargreaves as quickly as possible. Poor old Owen. But it's the same with all of us. As long as you do your job, your boss will be fine. You will not care. But if you stop performing, then you're nothing to your boss. But contrast that. What happens to a father when the child goes off the rails? 
the opposite. The relationship doesn't cool, it intensifies. The father's heart is more engaged. It may be painful, but it gets stronger because our relationship with our father is not based on performance, and that means everything. And there are two ways that you can relate to God. You can relate to him as a boss. And if you do everything right, everything will be fine. No drama, no fuss. But as soon as you do something wrong, you're gone. You're out of it. <laughs> or you can relate to him as he asks you to relate to him, as he tells you you can relate to him as a father. Who despite everything, places his love on you from everlasting to everlasting. If you're old enough to remember The West Wing, written back when Aaron Sorkin was good, <laughs> back in those heady days, you'll know that it was, um, it featured Martin Sheen as President Jed Barber. You're all too young, aren't you? You have no idea what I'm talking about. It was the greatest thing on TV for a while. There's about seven series of this West Wing political drama. There was actually a poll at one point where 90% of American people wanted Jed Bartlett, who is a fictional character, to be the president of the United States, the real one. I have no idea what would happen if that poll was, happened, where it was done now. But anyway, there is one episode in which the Surgeon General has said something controversial. And so um, the press are on her back. And there's pressure for Jed Bartlett to fire the Surgeon General. But it's problematic because his middle daughter, Ellie, who happens to be the Surgeon General's goddaughter, has come out to the press and said, there is no way that my father will sack this, um, the Surgeon General. There's no way it's going to happen. So it's put the president in a very difficult position. More so because Ellie, his middle daughter, does not have a good relationship with her father. And so Bartlett calls her from the university and sort of summons her to the White House. And they try to talk on the phone and he's very angry with her and she's very angry with him and they don't get very far. So a little later, he sees the Surgeon General in the Oval Office and she has come to um, bring her resignation to him. And she comes in and he decides to talk to her about his daughter. And this is sort of how it goes. Dr. Griffith says, uh, he asks her, why? Why are we not getting along? Dr. Griffith says, you frightened her. Bartlett said, no, I didn't. Dr. Griffith, sir. Bartlett, how did I frighten her? Jed, look where you're standing. I was elected two years ago. She's 24 years old. Dr. Griffith, you've been the king of whatever room you've walked in your entire life and her entire life. So Bartlett ponders this and he decides to reject Griffith's resignation, at which point his advisor, Josh, stands up and says, you know it's going to seem to some people like you did this because your daughter asks you to. And Barlow says, you know, Josh, if you ever have a daughter, you're going to discover there are worse reasons in the world to do something. And then later that evening, he sits down to watch a movie with Ellie, and she's pretty frosty, she, he tries to make her laugh. 
But at the end, having tried a few jokes here and there, he just gently looks at her and says to her, the one thing you ever had to do to make me happy was come home at the end of the day. When Jesus is asked how we should speak to God in heaven, he says, call him your father. Because what fathers are not supposed to do is frighten their children. The biblical concept of the fear of God has nothing to do with being scared of God. The overriding message of the whole of the New Testament is that love has conquered fear. Jesus' love has wiped out all fear. And so fear is not something proper for redeemed humanity. Rather, the fear of God this phrase that crops up throughout the Old and New Testament means simply putting God in his rightful place. It's about relating to him as he should be related to, namely acknowledging that he is God and we are not. That's it. And we get in trouble when we don't do that, when we try and take godliness for ourselves, which is why the biblical writers keep on going, hey, come back to God and let him be your God again. So we're not supposed to fear him. Now, of course, God is also like lots of other things. He's a refuge. He's a king. He's justice. But Jesus, when he says that God is your father, doesn't mean he stops being all those other things. But what he does mean is that all those other things are filtered through the fact that God is now your father. So what does it mean for us? Two things. Firstly, extraordinary confidence. Now, as a parent, I'll let you into a little secret. You count on about the fingers of one finger how many times parents actually get angry for the right reasons with their kids, you know, to stop them from doing something that's going to hurt them. Barely ever. We get angry because our kids have stopped us enjoying life and we're annoyed at them. That's what we do. <laughs> and that's what your parents would have done as well. We blame them because they've ruined our fun and we take it out on them. But we're told over and over that God never, ever, ever does that with us. Not once. He doesn't, as the psalmist say, says, treat us as our sins deserve. He doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. He remains just. He cannot but be just. But his mercy triumphs over his judgment so that he never, ever repays you for your iniquities. He doesn't treat you as your sinfulness deserves. He doesn't pay you back. Do you know what confidence that would give you going out into the world if you could grasp it, if you could have it in your heart? To know that your Father in Heaven has got your back all the time. All the time. Wherever you go, He has got your back. Wherever you go, He is defending you. Wherever you go, he is loving you. Wherever he's going, you go, he is saying, I'm your father, and I'm with you. And you don't need to be frightened. 
So confidence one, intimacy two. As you'll probably know, the word used, Abba, in verse six is a word of sort of familial intimacy. It speaks of the closeness of the bond that a child and a parent could have. But throughout the Bible, there are actually even more intimate terms that are used to describe this relationship. Hannah spoke about Psalm 103 over the summer, and it's worth repeating something that she mentioned. One of the most famous uh, parts of that psalm is this. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. The word compassion, all commentators say, this is an extraordinary word to use here. This is um, such an intimate word as to be slightly embarrassing the use of it here. It would never be used in relation to a father because it stems from a word uh, that means a mother's womb and really it should be used in relation to a mother. And in fact, it speaks of such intimacy, such skin-to-skin contact. It's like the word that you would use if you were describing a nursing mother and the um, uh, expression of love she has for her child as her child's cheek touches her bare breast. That's how intimate we're getting here. And yet, the psalmist says, as a father has compassion, has this word on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. When we're young, we have huge amounts of skin-to-skin contact with our, with our parents. But as children get older, they lose that need for that intimacy. Parents don't. I've just been at home and I saw my mum, she's a little bit old now. She still wants to hug me and do this on my cheek and touch my face. I still find it embarrassing. <laughs> I still want to do that to my children. And I know I'll still want to do it when I'm her age and they're mine. But if we imperfect parents want to do that with our children, how much more the perfect Father in heaven wants intimate contact with you? It's one thing to believe in God in an abstract way. It's another to experience him. And this is what God is getting on about. This is what Paul is getting on about here. This is not belief. This is intimacy. To come close to God. So, what then of the motherliness of God? Well, for all the reasons I mentioned, I don't think it's correct or right or helpful to ditch the father language. Let's not lose this because the fatherliness of God, when properly understood, carries enormous power with it. The truth is, all of us, not one person in this room, will not be carrying some sort of father pain, some sort of paternal pain from experiences they've had through life. The way that is healed is not perfectly through fatherless love. It is through fatherful love. What you need to replace that damage is a perfect father. So let us not lose the father language because we've got a perfect father and he will heal. Because actually any discussion of gender stops being problematic when the threat of the other is replaced 
with the beauty of oneness, of mutuality and equality in the kingdom. But this does not mean that we also have to give up all mother language about God. In addition to the picture of motherly compassion I just mentioned, there is ample other biblical imagery used to describe the motherliness of God in the Bible. Isaiah, in stark terms, directly compares God to a mother nursing a child at her breast. And whenever the spirit is mentioned, God's motherliness should be in view. Verse 6, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. What is the Spirit's first and most fundamental job? It is to give birth to new creations. Give birth to. Just uh, how many guys in the room have given birth to a child? Men? We haven't. It's a motherly thing to do. And the Spirit actually in Hebrew is a female word. And the Spirit throughout Scripture is uh, connoted is related to Sophia, wisdom, also female. And if you think about the spirit, what the spirit does, gives birth to new children, nurtures them, shows them the way of Jesus, instructs them, holds on to them, comforts them, counsels them, does motherly type things. So it's entirely appropriate action to talk about God in she and her terms when the person in view is the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit. So yes, God is also a mother. Phew. She is like a holy mother, along with our Holy Father and our Holy Saviour, brother and our friend, Jesus Christ. None of this has anything to do with gender. Because God is not male or female. God is God. It would be helpful for us to remove those terms from any talk of him because they're not right and they don't do us any favours. But the triune God, who lovingly, paternally and maternally draws us in, heals us, redeems us, comforts us and loves us, is beckoning us to let him be our father. And one final point about this. When you think of Jesus, when it comes to his relationship with God the Father, what do you think about it? Jesus and his Father. It is surely one of utter confidence and complete intimacy. Well, when the risen Jesus meets Mary at the tomb, he says this to her. Go and tell the disciples, I've gone to be with my father. But he doesn't stop there. He says, go and tell my disciples, I've gone to be with my father and your father. My God and your God. So his father is now your father. And you can have the same relationship with God the Father as Jesus does. Because that's what you're made for. And without it, we haven't got a hope of actually opening ourselves to the one person who can change us. The one person who loves us more than we could ever know, who loves us despite everything, and whose job it is 
to be there always without pressure. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and we'll sing a song and then we will pray to people. All the talks from our Sunday services are written with an aim to point people towards and help them open themselves to the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't think he's just a bit part or an optional extra in our Sunday services. Following his lead is kind of the whole point. So at the end of each service, we invite everyone to receive prayer. There's no magic in the way that we pray for people. We've just found that it's the easiest and most natural way to open ourselves. And that when we do that, he often meets us in the most wonderfully transformative ways. If you're able to join us at a service, we'd always encourage you to give this a go, as out of your comfort zone as it may be. Do drop us a line at hello at bread.church if you'd like to talk about any of this more. Thanks for listening.